Thank you for listening to Spiritual Teachings with Shunyamurti, recorded live at the Sat Yoga Ashram in Costa Rica. To join us for a life-changing meditation retreat, or to make a donation to support this transformational work, please visit our website, www.satyoga.org. To access more teachings or guided meditations from Shunyamurti, please visit the members section of our website or our YouTube channel, Sat Yoga Institute. Namaste. I'm told that International Yoga Day is coming up again. And I've been asked to say a few words, so I shall. First of all, let me say that it's entirely appropriate that it is an international day because yoga has always been international, at least to the extent that in the ancient world there were nations. Maybe we should say inter-kingdom yoga and uh, intercultural and inter-dharmic because yoga was an inheritance from a prior age, and it only became known as yoga in Kali Yuga, at the very installation of Kali Yuga, in fact, which was installed by the teaching of yoga, by the first teacher of yoga, Dakshinamurti. So we have to understand yoga accurately because yoga has evolved or some would say devolved over the last several thousand years into what is now today uh, known by most people to signify uh, a series of physical exercises and some very strenuous uh, aerobic style exercises, others that are more yin, laid-back style, but it's a focus on the physical organism. And uh, some yogas will include pranayama and breath work, others will focus more on the asanas, and various different styles and approaches have developed, some more focused on the healing of pathological conditions and others focusing on the development of the potentialities of the organism. But of course, originally yoga was focused not so much on the body, but on consciousness itself. In fact, it was the original science of consciousness. And it predated the appearance of what are now called the religions of the world, including Hinduism. And it's important to note that because there are a lot of Hindu fundamentalists today who want to claim a monopoly of yoga, that yoga belongs to the Hindus and those Westerners shouldn't have a right to uh, steal our heritage and make money out of it. Well, in a way, I agree with that in terms of uh, using yoga merely for commercial ends and merely for physical ends when it's a spiritual practice. But nonetheless, it predates uh, what is now known as Hinduism. It predates the Vedas. 
And it's very clear that yoga has always belonged to all of the dharmas. Uh, in fact, if you go to Buddhism, uh, nearly every school of Buddhism has its own form of Buddhist yoga. <clears throat> in fact, one of the main schools of Buddhism is the Yogacara school. Yogacara Buddhism means Buddhism as the practice of yoga. So, unless the Hindus want to sue the Buddhists uh, for a monopoly on that term, they, they shouldn't uh, bother with the Westerners yet. And not only the Buddhists, but there is Jain yoga, and there is Taoist yoga, so they'd better sue the Chinese as well. And, uh, and if you go into the ancient world, and you understand the word yoga, which means yoke or union, it's the same word that is used in the uh, Greco-Latin word uh, for religion. Religion means reunion. <clears throat> and in a way, reunion is more accurate than simply union because it, it is a remembrance of a unity of consciousness that has been forgotten and ruptured. It's a return to a prior condition. And, uh, and the recuperation of a lost level of consciousness that, uh, as a result of that loss, has led to a fall of uh, human consciousness into conflict. Which is, in a way, the theme of Kali Yuga. <clears throat> the loss of that original consciousness. And in the mythology of the West, the story of yoga is really very accurately presented in the book of Bereshit, or Genesis, in which, in the Garden of Eden, there are already two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, originally, before Kali Yuga, in a mythology that would have been present, there would have been only one tree, just the tree of life. Why is there a situation where there are two trees and one of those trees is forbidden? So what is being forbidden that uh, the fruits of which are eaten anyway by humanity which leads to this fall into a nomadic condition of the loss of paradise, of the kingdom of heaven, and the need to struggle in order to refine the lost consciousness? Well, the tree of life represents non-duality consciousness. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil means a fall into consciousness that functions on the basis of a dualistic logic. <clears throat> and that dualistic logic of yes or no, right or wrong, up or down, uh, <clears throat> creates a rupture between the self and the other because thought now becomes embedded in and used by the lower of two, let's say, internal organs. They are called that in Sanskrit, the antakaranas. There are two organs of consciousness within the human being. One is the buddhi and the other is the manas. The manas is the mind that functions in duality with a dualistic logic. <clears throat> Whereas the, the logic of the tree of life 
is that of non-duality. And non-duality itself is the realization of eternal life. Once consciousness falls into duality, it immediately generates a sense of a duality between mind and body and an identification of mind with body. And since body is mortal, the consciousness now loses its sense of eternal life, but has now a sense of mortality through its identification with the body. And therefore, fear enters in and desire enters in and consciousness loses its bliss. And so the search in Kali Yuga has been for how do I find the bliss that I'm missing in life? And of course, people start looking for it in uh, lower and lower levels of uh, enjoyments that give a temporary pleasure, but a long-term pain and suffering. And this creates ever more karma and ever more of a sense of lostness in the world of illusion. Duality is another word for maya. <clears throat> and so what yoga is, is the science of how to reactivate the higher form of cognition that doesn't function with a dualistic logic, but functions with a non-dual realization. And that science of consciousness <clears throat> was known throughout the ancient world, not just in India. It was known in ancient Egypt. It was known in China. It was known in Tibet. It was known in Persia. It was known by the Scythians. It was known uh, and learned by the Greeks and, uh, and then later uh, it traveled uh, into different parts of Europe. And it was even known in the, uh, in the Americas by the tribes that lived there. But again, the, the science of that consciousness gradually got lost and weakened, and the yogis who could teach that, who could transmit that knowledge, became fewer and fewer, and the, uh, the teachings became more and more distorted and more focused on the somatic rather than on <clears throat> shifting the psychological state from that of ego consciousness to that of the real self. So yoga is the restoration of that unity consciousness that is not identified with the individual body and therefore not egocentric and is inherently not in conflict with anyone because in non-dual consciousness there are no others. And this is why the great mantra, aham maham, I am I, is so important. <clears throat> because it means that whatever I see in non-duality is only the self, myself. There are no others. And there is no world, and there is no God. There is only what is, which is the self. And you can analyze that in dualistic consciousness into, yes, there's a world and I'm an ego and there are other egos that have different desires than mine and maybe there's a God, maybe there isn't because I can't reach that level anymore, but I know that I am just a mortal being and therefore I've got to protect my territory and defend myself against attacks, etc. And so the world became organized more as a war than as a party, which was the earlier way of understanding reality, a celebration, 
which is remembered in the worship of Krishna and the gopes and gopis and life as a, a beautiful uh, dance and, and a leela, a play, not a battleground. <clears throat> but once we got into Kali Yuga, then the metaphors of spirituality or religion became uh, battlefields as in the Bhagavad Gita, which is one of the earliest books in India that uh, teaches about the various yogas that were available at that time. And uh, it's very interesting that the hero, Arjun, of that book, who is being taught yoga by Krishna, who is the embodiment of non-duality consciousness, at first falls into a total emotional collapse. Here we have a hero who, who has to fulfill his dharma as a kshatriya, as a warrior, but he's going to have to kill his own relatives in this battle because they have uh, violated the dharma and they have usurped the kingdom and have brought unrighteousness into the world. And his duty now is uh, to violate one commandment of honoring one's relatives in order to protect a higher law or dharma, which is to keep righteousness and fairness and, and truth uh, uh, in a, uh, a situation in which the, uh, the unfair consciousnesses of egos cannot usurp the kingdom and bring a downfall, a corruption. But he can't do it because his own consciousness is divided against itself. And so he's paralyzed. And, uh, and this is the story basically of every ego which is paralyzed. It has no will to act with any strength because it's always in conflict between two loyalties, two loves, two attachments and it cannot transcend that duality in order to be able to act with vairagya, with dispassion toward the phenomenal plane, which is the plane of duality and of illusion, in order to bring that higher consciousness of non-duality to integrate it again within the plane of what is thought of by the dual consciousness as a world full of multiplicities of beings, into a non-dual whole once again. But because it already believes in the reality of duality and, and of otherness, it cannot act uh, with the power that it needs to act. And this is the technical problem that everyone uh, has to encounter in their approach toward the dissolution, the extinguishing of ego consciousness and, the, and the, the necessity to suppress the manas so that the booty can awaken and that non-dual consciousness can reveal itself as more real than the unreality that was being fed to one by the misinterpretation of the information it was receiving through the sense organs and through its empirical knowledge within the frame of reference of duality that would only give it feedback that would become a self-fulfilling prophecy of that duality. 
and the dependence upon the approval of the other in order to feel good about oneself. And this is what weakens and paralyzes every ego that cannot function independently with its own sovereignty and act decisively to do what is needed in every moment because it can only act from an ego which cannot see clearly the truth of the situation of non-duality because it is always projecting its own internal conflict, its own self-hatred onto the other and demonizing that other. And therefore, all it can do in its own behavior is to continue the non-dharma, the act of aggression. That is what we must be healed from. But the ego cannot uh, transcend its own aggressivity out of fear that if it puts down its weapons, then it will be exploited and dominated by the other. And so uh, the ego consciousness then falls into its pitiful collapsed state. You could call it the dark night of the soul or whatever else. But it, once you are re in recognition of the fact that your, your actual approach to reality, your own organ of cognition is the cause of your inability to act with empowerment and clarity and uh, accuracy, then you realize that you must go through a process of activating a higher organ of understanding that will enable you to download wisdom that transcends what the ego consciousness is capable of grasping. <clears throat> but to do that, one must first surrender before one can be filled with the, the higher power one must be willing to make the space by emptying out the mind of its lower powers that are no longer of any use to it, that are actually its own self-sabotage, its own enemy. But that feeling of vulnerability, of putting down its sword and its shields and, and just being present without any defenses is terrifying to the ego. And so the science of yoga is a science that needs to take place because of this interim condition of vulnerability that requires dependence upon an outer guru to be able to transmit the vibrational frequency that will activate the higher organ of the buddhi so that one finds one's inner guru and then one doesn't need to be dependent. One can finally be independent, not only of, of an outer guru, but of any approval of any others or of any conflicts with any others. And one can be uh, free to access that same uh, store of information and creative intelligence that is capable of solving all problems that can arise in one's world. But in order to do that, there is this uh, moment of, uh, of the need uh, to take a leap into the unknown and become completely vulnerable in order to learn something that cannot be learned by the ego mind on its own. And it's going to have to suspend all of its judgment and all of its fear and all of its aggressivity 
in order to be able to take in what is being offered that will be able to raise the vibrational frequency to awaken the, the booty. And so this is what the purpose of all of the yogas and the religions are, to activate that which in dualistic terms would be called God consciousness. But it requires the death of ego consciousness, and the ego doesn't like that idea. And so this is the, uh, the point of, of hesitation and despair uh, that causes most people who start out on a spiritual path to settle for an imitation version of it uh, or to simply uh, become cynical and go back into the world of egos and say, ah, there's nothing there beyond the ego mind. It's all just a myth. I'm going to just stick with my ego. I'm resigned. I accept that, that uh, this is all either that I'm capable of or all that exists. And, uh, and since the postmodern ideology of materialism and scientism and uh, of, uh, uh, of, of the belief that uh, consciousness is simply a product of neuronal activity, uh, it's, it, it accepts that, that there is no possibility of a higher consciousness that's not simply generated by the brain, but that is part of the intelligence that's uh, all-pervasive and all-encompassing of the universe as a whole. So that's the question that everyone has to answer. If it is possible that you can access a level of intelligence infinitely more powerful uh, than your own ego now, wouldn't you want that kind of an upgrade to your computer system? But you have to be vulnerable enough to let the, uh, the computer repair person go in there and delete the old program so that the new one can be installed. And that's where things get tough, you see, because no one wants to... Uh, put themselves in the hands of anyone else and trust that the other actually has good intentions and an ability uh, to help one reach a state of true self-sovereignty or swarajya. So this is the, uh, the, the meaning and the purpose of yoga, to activate the higher potentialities of consciousness that we are designed to use. But through the process of the increasing hegemony of the, uh, the duality consciousness, yoga itself, as part of that gradual degradation of consciousness, has devolved into many, many forms. You could say it is another example of the tree of the knowledge of, of good and evil. And now many branches of yoga exist within that duality. And, uh, and through time, uh, the yogas that have developed within all of the various traditions have uh, become more and more focused on the body than, it, than on the consciousness because no one was willing to go through that rite of passage that Arjun did in the Bhagavad Gita and get past his fear of, uh, of having to uh, be reprogrammed and of having to kill his relatives. Now, of course, it's a myth and a metaphor 
for killing your internal superego figures and your internal inner child and all of its relatives that are in there uh, that are mental objects that one is loyal to and that, uh, that create a, an, a, a psychic habitat in which the ego is comfortable because mommy is there and uh, the daddy one hates is there and one can hate him and get away with it and project it on the world and live out those narratives as if they are reality. And one can live in such a fantasy bubble for one's entire life and believe in it even though at some level one knows one's not living an authentic existence and one is suffering. And, uh, and so if you want happiness and you want authenticity and you want power, real power, uh, then the only way to do that is to uh, dissolve the ego mind and bring in fully the God self, the, the real power that is the uh, intelligence that creates, sustains, and destroys all worlds and then from their destruction brings rebirth. And so only if one is not afraid of death is one going to be able to go through the eye of the needle of one moment of destruction of, of one's world into the rebirth of a new world. And so we have been in a situation where as the availability of the booty mind to function and guide humanity accurately, which at first was, uh, was done by the Brahmins that ancient India had a class or caste system, and the kings were not the highest caste, the kings and the queens and all the royal court people, the prime ministers and all of that. No, the highest caste were the Brahmins, but they had no actual political or military power but they had such a power of wisdom that the people of the kingdom, if they heard that the Brahmins were against what the king wanted to do, if the king wanted to go to war and invade another kingdom and it wasn't righteous or fair, and the Brahmins said, uh-uh, you can't do this, kingy, uh, they, the king couldn't do it. They literally had enough power uh, that, that the, uh, the army wouldn't fight unless the Brahmins uh, were behind it and did the right pujas and sacrifices to the gods and, uh, and said, yes, this is, this is dharmic and this is what we must do. And the same was true for a while in ancient Israel when there were prophets willing to stand up to the kings, but pretty soon the kings uh, were slaughtering the prophets and there weren't too many of them left after a while. And, the last one we know about got crucified and his followers said, well, we don't want any part of this. And another religare was born out of it, another form of Christian yoga. And in that same ancient world, and especially in the Greco-Roman area, the yoga that was followed was uh, mythologized, again, as, the, as it was in the Bhagavad Gita, but with another uh, mythology based on the uh, understanding that yoga is a form of accessing a higher level of knowledge or jnana. 
And the word jnana, or jnana, it actually is a G-N-Y-A-N-A, if you pronounce it accurately. Uh, this knowledge is the knowledge of non-duality, realized as truth, not just as an intellectual proposition. Well, that became what, what was known as gnosis, the same word in, uh, in, in the West. And the Gnostic religion was the earliest form of that uh, metaphor of the teachings of Jnana Yoga in the West. And the Gnostic religion was, um, was part of the earliest Christian tradition of the teachings of the Essenes and uh, of uh, John the Baptist and of, of all the early Christians and until uh, a, uh, a political schism within Christianity itself uh, brought about a, uh, an internecine war within Christianity that eventually led to the hegemonic takeover of Christianity by the Roman Catholic Church, etc. I won't go into all of that history, most of you know it, but it is all part of the history of yoga. It's one of the main yogas, is the yoga of Christ. And so you can find a point-by-point -point correspondence uh, between Christian yoga, when understood in its esoteric, mystical version, and the yogas of uh, India, whether Hindu or Buddhist or Taoist. And, and this congruence between all of the yogas, when they are understood as uh, approaches to a psychological self-transformation, uh, create a recognition that there's always been only one religion in the world, and that's the religion of shifting consciousness from the manas, the dualistic form of perception, to that of perception of non-duality. Because only in that perception can there be love, and can there be harmony, and can there be peace, and uh, a, a creative superorganismic augmentation of the consciousness of the whole field of humanity as a single whole that can operate together and, and bring about great uh, achievements that are not possible for the lower level of consciousness. However, what the lower level of consciousness is capable of and has proven itself very good at is technological achievement of the development of various uh, gadgets, like all of the cell phones that you have in the computers, and mostly, and the reason for that technological development being so powerful, is the real intention of the ego mind in its uh, development of a technological understanding of material reality, is to create weapons of war that will give one kingdom dominance over all the others. And that has been the theme of the world to the point that weapons are now created and, and uh, distributed and ready to, on a hair trigger to be used that can destroy the whole world. And so we have come to the culminating moment of Kali Yuga when the self-defeating nature of dualistic consciousness has revealed itself in, in all of its horror, and yet no one has the power to stop it.
because the logic of the ego demands that, that you cannot be the first one to put down your weapons. And so uh, the, the, the ideal of disarmament is hopeless. No one's ever going to do it. And no one's ever going to trust that if I put down my thermonuclear missiles, the other will put them down and they won't hide some and then I will be blackmailed by the other, etc. And it would happen that way, frankly, at the level of ego consciousness. So there is no way out uh, and except for a return to real yoga that will bring us to a level of consciousness where we can deactivate those weapons with the higher potentialities of consciousness and bring about a new world that is free of such conflicts. And so at this very last moment of total despair, when everyone's in the state of Arjuna in that first chapter of the Gita, and there is about to be the war to end all wars and worlds, uh, we are at that moment when the return to yoga as an international presence in the world has made this signifier again uh, in, uh, highlighted to the consciousness of humanity. And even though many practice yoga more as a physical practice, even those know it is actually a spiritual practice. And that its ultimate intention is to be able to relax the physical body, remove the stress, so that a higher level of presence that, that can establish itself in a silent and peaceful mind can transform one's consciousness and therefore uh, give one the power to love and to function with wisdom and with fearlessness and with clarity and accuracy and be able to relate peacefully with others. And so this higher level of consciousness has returned to the world now in uh, granted a marketable format but a format that also presents, again, that esoteric dimension of reality in an accessible way that can enable us to use the, the manas, the capacity for logical analysis that produced technology of the, the physical kind to also promote the development of psychotechnology in which we can use the manas to activate the buddhi and then use the booty to deactivate the manas and by that bootstrap ourselves into that higher consciousness. And thus, this is the real purpose of jnana yoga, to use the knowledge of that tree of duality in order to get you to a higher logic of non-duality and give you the understanding of why it's important and the willpower to stay in that state and thus conquer all of those traces of the ego that are fragile and weak and feel inadequate and unworthy and have all of the other uh, traces of pathology that has uh, brought about all the ills that the world is suffering from. So this, in this day of, uh, of the honoring of yoga, we are really honoring humanity's capacity for higher consciousness in a moment when the urgency for the activation of that capacity has reached its absolute height, if we wish to survive through the, the coming tribulations 
in which the world is entering a phase of global war. And if we are to overcome that, we can only do it from a level of consciousness that is cosmic, that recognizes the world as a dream that is a projection of that unified consciousness that therefore has the power to redream it, to manipulate the dream from an awakened state and bring about a shift of the, the nature of phenomenal reality itself, not having to do it through conflict, but through the transcendence into the state of bliss that overrides the noise of the conflicting egos with the signal of absolute presence and power and bliss that everyone is searching for that can be fulfilled from that single source of awareness which activates every brain, every being and bring them all, all of the billions of them or those that will remain after the wars that begin shredding the population but bring all of them into that unified state that will then be able to transcend and transform this dream we know as our world uh, without any violence or any struggle or any effort whatsoever by that same power of God consciousness that brought the world into being in the first place. So it is the, the knowledge that this is not just pie in the sky, this is not just some myth, this is science. But if you're going to become a scientist, you have to take seriously the need to do the experiment and discover that power and make it real, not just an idea in your mind. Wouldn't that be nice? But to make it happen through the extinguishing of the ego and the rebirth of your own divinity. And this is the purpose of all religions, but no one has ever fulfilled those purposes because no one in ego consciousness can really believe the teachings of non-duality. But once we recognize that it's our only hope, and if you don't go for it, then you're settling for the earth becoming a thermonuclear ruin without any hope of any uh, salvation from that wreckage, then you will make the leap into the unknown of your own real self and make yoga a reality and use that power for the restoration of that dream of a beautiful world in which there is peace and love and harmony and a complete elimination of the nightmare that the ego used to override the dream of God. It's this moment in which it must be done and it can be done but it can only be done through yoga. So may we all become real yogis and not just on one day of celebrating International Yoga Day, but every day and make every day the eternal now that is able to transform reality into the image of the Supreme Self that we all together 
are. May the world be filled with yogis whose buddhi is fully awakened. Thank you for listening to the Spiritual Teachings with Shunyamurti podcast. For more information on programs and retreats, click on the calendar section of our website, www.satyoga.org. Our work is made possible by the generous support of our listeners, viewers, and members. To make a donation, please visit the donate page of our website. We thank you for your support in our mission to share this timeless wisdom with the world. Namaste.